0: And we're back. Uh, welcome to call your next witness. Um, Georgia Coates is my co-host for today. We have n- not been here for a while because sometimes legal work gets in the way. But but uh, we are back, and uh, Georgia, welcome. It's been a while.
1: I've been busy billing, Brian.
0: <laughs> wow, that was a <laughs> seamless segue into our topic for today. So it is. Uh it's the last week of July. This is probably going to post in the first week of August. So we're in the dog days of summer. And what more fun and exciting topic than legal billing? Um, Georgia, why are we talking about legal billing today?
1: Because that's how we make a living. And yet there are certain people in the <laughs> opposite end that try to cut that down. And so we want young associates not to be scared about taking a job like ours that requires billing. We want them to capture their time properly so we can get paid properly. And maybe we want to curse a few people out on this podcast. Maybe <laughs> not. We'll see. You know, I, I
0: remember, first of all, to, to... As we record this, people just took the bar exam two days ago, Um, and when you're in law school, when you're preparing for the bar exam, much like there is no mention of insurance, and we've discussed that in prior podcasts, they don't tell you anything about billing, and billing is it's a legitimate skill that has to be learned alongside all of the legal stuff that you're doing and you know i i don't know if i've ever mentioned this to you georgia but a friend of mine from um from the da's office years ago transitioned to she was working for the department of education in new york city and she and i grabbed lunch one day and she goes you know um." I'm not sure what I wanna do next, but here are some of my criteria. I don't wanna do plaintiff's work. I don't want to do government work. And I also don't want to have hourly billing. Wow. What do you think? And I said, I think you gotta find a new line of work because <laughs> the, the, um, unless you're in house someplace, there's you know, and you're not doing plaintiff's work, so you're not on a contingency and you're not working just for a straight salary, you know in a in the public sector. Billing is a skill that we all have to figure out and and uh, you know and master to some degree, uh, because that's how we get paid. And look, to anybody listening, if you're you're hearing what we're saying, and you're thinking quietly to yourself, no, 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 there are some other ways that that attorneys can make money. Email us, let us know, because we're all ears. You know, I know that there are flat rate setups that you can have or, you know, direct retention where there's a, uh, you know, a retainer fee or something like that. That's all fine and good. But the as a private sector attorney. Legal billing is probably going to be the crux of how you and your firm make money. So what we wanted to do today is just give some general insights on, you know, on what to do, what not to do and, you know, good ways to help basically generate value to you, for yourself, to your employer, because if, you know, I'm, and I'm just gonna whine for a second here. Um, when I get a stack of bills at the end of a month and I have to go through them, the associates that have figured out billing It's it's just it's like a weight off my shoulders because the the editing of of people who, you know, who who have not really figured out the tricks of the trade yet or who are brand new out of law school, which we understand, who have no idea what they're doing. It's time consuming. And, you know, one thing that that we all have in common in the legal world is that none of us has time for any of this. (laughs) So
1: um, I remember when I started. Ah, uh, John Mulcahy called me into his office, and he said, George, I'm going over your billing. You billed a .6, so the equivalent of a little over than half uh, a little more than half an hour, to write this letter to plaintiffs' counsel. And it was a good faith letter. He owed me discovery, two paragraphs. But at that time, I had just, you know, started working, started doing this, so I." you know, must have written and read and edited and re-read and re-edited that letter for that full 36 minutes. And he had said, you know, bill what you do, and then I'll cut it down. Um, and he's like, well, George, I can't send the client a bill of a point six on this letter. I'm like, but it legitimately took me half an hour to write that letter. And he said, and it will right now take you half an hour to write such a letter. As you get better at being a lawyer and, you know, at writing, et cetera, it'll take you less time. And then you'll see that the reality is you can only really bill a one or a point two on a letter like this. So part of it is growing as an attorney being able to write motions much faster uh than you did when you first started with that you know comes uh, the ability to build the appropriate amount of time and being able to build the appropriate amount of time means then we get that money which is why then you get raises and you as you grow as an attorney cuz you know some baby attorneys will wonder why can't I make all this money and it's like well cuz we're not making that much off of you right now because you're spending way too much time doing something that we can't capture in terms of billing. But everyone will get there. And I am a master biller now, so these are gonna be some good tips we have.
0: Yeah, only took you 13 years.
1: Only well, took me 13 years. <laughs> None of no, my bills but, are cut.
0: <laughs> but but you know what? Without
1: exaggeration,
0: it it's you don't figure it out in six months. It takes years to really figure out all of the You know, just the nuances of what is the best way to explain what I did in a manner that really conveys the time properly, and also in a manner that is, you know, more difficult for the billing auditors to cut. Um, And by the way, so just the, the target audience, so to speak, for this podcast is young associates looking for some billing tips. Um, if you happen to be in the insurance industry and are a claim representative, this might be interesting for you as well. If you are a billing auditor, you're probably going to want to just turn this off now, because <laughs> because uh, well, we're we're trying to enlighten people to some of the tricks that you guys use to not pay us. and what's what's interesting about that is, you know, to anyone who doesn't know, the insurance industry, in particular retains billing auditors whose job is to make sure that we you know ostensibly the job is to make sure that we follow the billing guidelines for that particular insurance company and that's that's fair the other thing that billing auditors do is because they are in business just like the rest of us are in business is they are looking for ways to generate value to the insurance companies and the way they do that is by saving them money by cutting our bills in certain ways. And the problem that we run into is that the way that billing auditors tend to do that changes from billing cycle to billing cycle. You know, once we learn how to follow their guidelines, they might start to interpret the guidelines differently, you know, the the line that always comes to mind and Georgia I'm a few years older than you. I don't know if you remember Rowdy Roddy Piper from WWF back in the 80s and you know later in the 90s, but Rowdy Roddy Piper used to have a quote that says right when I when you have all the answers I change the questions. And that literally is a dynamic that we run into with billing auditors every once in a while. What's what's interesting is I don't think I have ever had a conversation with a claim representative or a VP of claims or you know a client where i asked for you know subsequent approval for research that that we had agreed upon that i didn't have in writing or for a motion that we did i've never had that rejected before but the billing auditors they are uh, they're a moving target and we try to move with them and and make their lives difficult and the way we do that is by clear concise Accurate billing and. So what we recently did in our office for our. um, For our team of associates is we prepared a document called the 15 commandments of billing, and I thought that we would talk a little bit about that today to give people outside the Wade Clark Mulcahy universe some of our insight and. And also, you know, in Georgia, you and I spoke about this offline, I have a theory that people like lists. So if we put things on a list, I think people are more likely to look at it because, you know, here's how to bill, not that interesting. Here are the 15 ways how to bill. Well, maybe that that generates, uh, you know, a little bit more interest, a little bit more traction. But, you know, all things considered, this topic should be helpful to to young attorneys who are tired of getting their bills cut by annoying partners like us or equally annoying billing auditors.
1: And we can end the podcast with 12 best cocktails to serve at a summer barbecue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, 12 best cocktails, that's...
1: a lot of cocktails.
0: That is a lot of cocktails. Do you try all 12 cocktails at the same barbecue?
1: You should. If If it's a barbecue worth going to.
0: What is the best cocktail to pair with lamb at an outdoor Astoria summer barbecue?
1: A mojito.
0: Fascinating.
1: Because I feel like the mint will go well with the with the with the gaminess of the lamb. Also, I love me a good mojito.
0: That's brilliant. And you know what? That's probably the right answer. I think so. You say it with
1: confidence. Then you get the right answer. The same if you put in your billing entries with confidence, they won't get cut. <laughs> That's not a great segue. segue. But I mean, quite frankly, our job—you know—obviously, our job is to advocate for our clients and be good lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. But it is to tell the party that hired us uh, what it is we're doing, why we're doing it, and in in and how the thing that we are billing for, the thing that we are doing, how it. Is being uh, used and utilized to move the case along to 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 analyze our liability and our da- damages exposure because we do we work we work the carriers know we work the adjusters know that we do work on a case we update them we send them our reports we keep them up to date, but the auditors they don't they don't know us they don't know what we're doing they don't even really understand. Um, how a case gets handled from beginning to end. So the way that we explain it in our billing, it has to be so that somebody who doesn't know anything about insurance defense work can look at it and go, okay, I see they had a telephone call with a party. It was about this and the purpose of the call was, you know, XYZ. They're not going to cut it if they they see it and go, okay, they're doing work on the case. That's the whole purpose of why they are billing this. So that's in a nutshell. So
0: (laughs) billing. So I thought we would go through some of these commandments of billing and talk about them a little bit. And uh, to anybody who uh, would actually like a copy of the list, feel free to email Georgia or myself offline and we can send it to you. So the first commandment of billing. um, And if I knew how audio functions work, I would do a nice little drum roll here. Um, Detail your billing entries. Now that sounds like a nice vague tip, but I'll give you a specific example. If you spend an hour and a half reviewing emergency room records and hospital records, well, an hour and a half in billing parlance is 1.5. If you put in review medical records, 1.5. That's probably going to be cut as insufficiently detailed or vague or something along those lines. Um, Georgia, what's a better way to to? Bill something along those lines
1: like a Um, 1.5 medical records. It's really say it's emergency hospital records. Review you know, Mount Sinai hospital records, including operative report and uh, post-surgery care, parentheses, uh, 222 pages, because that's the whole point of this. So an auditor is going to look at it and say, well, what were you doing for an hour and a half? Were you reviewing 200 pages worth of medical records? All right, then that makes sense. Or were you reviewing 40 pages of medical records? Then that doesn't make sense. So you need to let them know the reason you spend this much time reviewing the medical records is because they were a big chunk of medical records.
0: Yeah, so now if you are a young associate listening to us right now and you just took the bar exam and you're feeling, you know, you're feeling a weight off your shoulders and you are about to step foot into the ivory tower that is the legal profession, And you're sitting here saying, wait a minute. So if I put 220 pages as opposed to 40 pages on one circumstance, I get paid and the other one I don't. Yes, that's what we're telling you. It's annoying, but such is life. Um, Okay. Second commandment billing entries should have triggering events. And this one is a pet of mine. If you put in a billing, entry, let's use the example that we just had, review medical records, review 220 pages of Mount Sinai records. Well, why are you reviewing these records? You can say upon receipt of these records, or you can say in preparation for a report to the client, you can say in preparation for combined discovery response, whatever it is, because what billing auditors tend to look for is when they see big chunks of time build, uh, you know, how do they know that we're not I'll, I'll use a, a a billing parlance term. How do they know we're not just pushing paper and looking to generate billing that doesn't really exist? Well, the triggering the triggering event um, if you outline it in the billing entry, and literally, you can you know when you're entering billing, A lot of times I will literally use in preparation for summary judgment motion and copy and paste that at the end of several different entries. Because a lot of times, if you're preparing a summary judgment motion that has a whole bunch of exhibits and a whole bunch of transcripts, you might spend two days reviewing file materials in preparation for a motion for summary judgment. Well, if you're doing that work, say that's why you're doing that work. You know, that makes it much more difficult for for auditors to, to, to knock down. And frankly, it's a more detailed, better illustration of what you're doing, spending your time.
1: And, at the, and we don't just review things to just say we've reviewed them. We review them. And what we're doing as we review them by being good lawyers, is we're analyzing them for the effect that this is going to have either on the client's liability exposure on their damages exposure. So when I'm looking at an operative report, I am analyzing, okay, this is not a minor procedure. This is a major, you know, three or four level lumbar spine fusion surgery. I'm creating a medical timeline on the side or a report. So you should put that into your billing entry, that you're reviewing the medical records, 222 pages, and analyzing for its effect on the insured's damages exposure. This also lets the auditors know that this is a task that can't just be done by a paralegal or a secretary. It, it's something that needs to be done by the handling attorney because the handling attorney is then the one that's going to contact the adjuster and say, by the way, this is a case that just blew up a bit because according to the medical records, um, plaintiff just had surgery and we haven't gotten, you know, an updated BP yet, but we anticipate we will. So now the exposure damages, you know, Y as opposed to X. Which is also necessary for the carrier because they need to up their reserves and all this other fun stuff we've talked about in prior podcasts. So you need to have that as the triggering event, but also something that says this is why a lawyer had to do all of this.
0: You know, and something that you mentioned um, <laughs> triggered something in my mind about, you know, using triggering events. Um and this is this one goes out to the trial attorneys out there who might be listening. Um, reviewing medical records or transcripts for a report to a client is a very different animal than reviewing medical records in preparation for trial. When you are reviewing medical records to do a client report, um, you know, usually that is to give the client an idea. Of what the treatment has been, what the surgeries have been, what the recovery has been, and to give the client an idea of what the the damages, the exposure, uh, is going to be. Conversely, when you are reviewing medical records for trial, particularly for when you're preparing for cross examination, it's a it's a little bit different where you're looking to cherry pick, for lack of a better word, helpful. Pieces of information. That either the plaintiff or the plaintiff's medical team is going to have to concede at trial. Um, You know they the old saying is, you know, on cross examination, you never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. Well, that medical review is finding the answers to those questions that you're going to be asking the witnesses and reviewing. You might do review medical records. From Mount Sinai Hospital in preparation for a client report. And then two years later, you're going to spend twice as much time reviewing the same medical records in preparation for cross examination at trial. Okay, you already mentioned uh, the number of pages, which that's that's kind of a new one in the in the in the billing auditing world, but including the number of pages that you reviewed in an entry, it just makes it that much harder to, to cut. Um, Okay, this is one that will not be obvious to the untrained eye, but like to to seasoned billers like myself in Georgia, if you are calling your client in preparation for a deposition or something along those lines, and um, in your billing entry, you use the word scheduling or confirming, goodbye.
1: Quite frankly. They cut it even if you don't use the word scheduling or confirming. If you just have the word deposition, I've note it'll it'll literally be you know t- telephone call with insurer to discuss upcoming deposition, and they'll say, well, this is probably for scheduling, and so. They assume the worst because assuming the worst, assuming that it's just about scheduling, which is not a legal task. I will give them that. But they assume the worst. And in assuming the worst, they're able to cut it to save themselves money. So the reason we talk with insurance in preparation for a deposition is to talk about the actual case, the liability, any exhibits they may have, any supplemental records. So put all of that because it isn't even the tr- the triggering language doesn't even need to be the word scheduling. It's just the word deposition. You use the word deposition. Use the word I am me. Telephone call with co-defendant or review email from you know co-defendant. You know A Doe because uh, you know they need the name uh, A Doe uh, regarding plaintiff's I am um, me. They go up oh, probably about scheduling. They cut it. So don't make them guess. Uh, and don't make them guess or assume the worst, um, because we're not talking with a co-defendant about an IME uh, schedule. We are talking to them about the designation. We're talking to them which experts we might need. And that is a legal test, because only we as lawyers know whether a plaintiff needs to be examined by an ortho and an neuro, or maybe neither. Maybe they need a, a plastic surgeon. Maybe they need uh, one or the other. So uh, it's more about about court, about discussing designation, the proper expert needed for this particular injury in light of the fact that the plaintiff testified he had ongoing nerve damage or neurological pain radiating down his left leg. You think putting in radiating down his left leg is too much information? It isn't. That's what they want to hear. That's the kind of stuff that won't get our billing cut. Because there is a reason we have these discussions with our adversaries or with our co-defendants or with um, with the insureds. And it isn't a, hey, can you make it on June 2nd? You, you know, it's, it, it is actual legal talk we have with them. So we need to make it as detailed as possible. Yeah,
0: and it all goes back to that first commandment is detail your billing entries. You know, it's, the more detail you include, the harder you make it for the billing auditors to cut. Um, all right. We are up to the 5th commandment here, and this one is a little bit more nuanced. Um, this pertains to. Reports motions, etc, that you might work on. Over the course of five or six days, let's say you've got a doozy of a motion or an appellate brief. Let's say an appellate brief, because those tend to be a little bit more involved that you work on for six days you know or at least parts of six different days well if you bill four hours a day with draft slash revise appellate brief and over the course of those four to six days it adds up to 30 hours and it's all for the same exact language draft revise appellate brief they're gonna cut that as duplicative. That's a word that comes up in these billing auditings every mm-hmm. once in a while. Um, the more detailed, harder to cut way to bill something along those lines, I would say is to break up your billing entries based on the section of the brief or motion or your or report that you're doing. Draft, revise, detailed preliminary statement and statement of facts 2.2. That makes a lot more sense than just draft, revise portion of the pellet brief. And then if the brief itself uh, is broken down into different sections, different subsections, make that clear in the billing entries. You know, the billing entries themselves should explain to the client and to their third party vendor billing auditor, if they have one, Exactly why it took thirty hours to complete this assignment. And look, it did. Briefs don't write themselves. You know, uh, a, occasionally you'll get a uh, a call from a client. It's like, okay, so we're going to move for summary judgment. Okay, go ahead and file that motion. It's like, well, we got to write it first. <laughs> uh, you know, there's and it send has to me be, a copy. <laughs> yeah, it has to be researched. It has to be written. It has to be revised. Uh, you know, and it's you know, there's a I don't know who is it Judge Cardozo's quote is there's no such thing as good writing, only good rewriting. You know, when you're putting together a a substantive summary judgment motion or an appellate brief, that logic applies. And these things take time to, you know, to to really put forth our best argument before the court. And good legal writing is about structure and organization. Um. You know, I'm generally of the opinion that judges and law clerks are very busy and anything that you can do to make their lives easier and to make the brief more structured and more organized will help you out. Look, judges are people, too. And if you send a judge or the judge's law clerk a 30 page brief. And there's no subheadings within the brief. If it's just 30 pages of straight double-paste text with no headings and no subheadings, they're going to be pissed off before they even start reviewing it. If you have that broken down into organized sections and structures, not only does that put forth a better argument, a more organized argument to the court – but it makes it easier to build those separate entries and to demonstrate to the client or to the billing auditor exactly what we're doing. All right, there is a recent, um, to, to get to our sixth commandment, this is kind of a commandment that I'm just gonna skirt past because we have recently gotten a tip from a vendor that we use that, that suggested that we not use the word revise as a verb. Um, You know, it's more about preparing motions. Um, You know, what are the other words that the prepare, draft, uh, organize, something along those lines, for whatever reason, the word revise has fallen out of favor. I haven't seen that get cut yet by any billing auditors. George, I don't know if you have. Have you gotten pushed back at the word revise?
1: I, I can see it. Like, I've seen it in the past of, well, you've drafted this already. We're not going to pay you. It's duplicative to pay you to go back and edit it further. Where revise does connote you're re-editing something. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying, just Put in all your billing about drafting a document all at once. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and 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 it it should encompass time. It might take you to go back and re-edit it.
0: Fair enough. I don't want to talk about that one anymore because I haven't seen it, but if 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 we do a billing 2.0 podcast and revise has come up keep, more. Keep,
1: keep people on the edge of their seats for a <laughs> sequel.
0: <laughs> a yeah. billing
1: sequel.
0: A cliffhanger. Okay, our seventh commandment is actually very important and can can really move the needle in terms of time cut on a bill. Getting prior approval for legal research.
1: Uh, but it's getting prior approval for everything now. Um, Yeah. And that's that's the when we were just talking about motions, you can sit there and and draft a motion over the course of three days, because like you said, it's a huge doozy. It's a it's an appellate brief. And then, you know, we bill for it and then they'll pay us zero because we didn't write per adjuster X, Y, Z's you know, written authority on this date. And it's like, well, why would you think that I would be drafting a brief just on my own for fun? Of course, (laughs) everything is done with a with, uh, you know, uh, uh, a relationship with the with the carrier, with the adjuster, talking about a case and developing a strategy. For another podcast, we will discuss whether attorneys should be the ones that decide what the strategy is. Not necessarily needing permission, but um, we do need permission, and it's a part of the billing guidelines. But if you don't include that in in the billing, um, uh, it will be cut, and then you've wasted you know three three days drafting a motion that the client deems you know, hey, I'm not going to pay you for it because you didn't put in that you were allowed to do it. Yeah, and and you're you're exactly
0: right, Georgia. Like we're never we're not doing these these motions, these briefs on our own it's especially in the risk management industry where we have an informed client base everything is a collaborative effort every everything is decided mm-hmm. you know in in conjunction with each other but you know as we're recording this we're in New York and different states have different rules and protocols with regard to um permission so to speak to to do motions to do research like I I I don't know this for a fact, but I've been told that in Texas, um, the insurance company represents, excuse me, retains the attorney to represent the insured client, and insurance carriers are not allowed to refuse permission for research that the attorney deems necessary to defend that mm-hmm. client's interest. Um, I don't know if that's really the case, but I heard it, so it must be true. Um, mm-hmm. But in in New York, you know, we are expected to follow the guidelines and, you know, I'm going to make a little analogy here. Much like OSHA or the industrial code, these rules are not meant to be followed. These rules are meant so that there is something to hang their hat on when they're not followed and say you did not follow this rule. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because look, the industrial code is very big. OSHA is very onerous and. Every construction site has violations that are that are present. Billing guidelines can be very onerous and very difficult to follow. And look, are we going is every attorney going to get 100% of the guidelines correct to a T? Probably not, but if you're going to pick one to make sure that you follow. If you need research, if you're writing a report and you get to a point in the report where you can't really definitively answer the question without doing a few hours of research. You know, I don't know about you, Georgia, but what I tend to do is I finalize that report with the open-ended question and ask for permission to do that research for our next report. Um, right. Because that's that's the best way to kind of lay the foundation with the client. And, you know, I've I have rarely, if ever, had permission refused the reality though is they don't ding the payment when permission is refused they ding the payment when you either forget to ask or you forget to ask in writing even though you and the client both know that this is you know absolutely necessary to to the furtherance of the defense strategy so you know ask they, they you know, what's the old saying it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission not with legal research you got to ask for permission The 8th commandment pertains to transfer files. This is an annoying one for for law firms to figure out because. If you are a new attorney at a firm and a file is transferred to you, that is, you know, let's say halfway through discovery. um, Well, in theory. You cannot bill for work that is already that has already been done. Um, You know, and to insurance carriers credit, they shouldn't have to pay for two attorneys to review the exact same thing. That being said, uh, you as the handling attorney need to know all this stuff. This to me is where triggering events. Come in very handy.
1: Um, or even prior approval to say we're getting the new file and. We need your approval to be able to bill for reviewing it. We've never looked at it. How else are we going to properly defend the the, the client if we can't be uh, getting paid to actually look through, look at the deposition transcripts, analyze them? Which so so I think the billing entry would have to include the triggering event, analyzing to write comprehensive, you know, uh, pre-trial or a new case strategy memo. Per the authority of XYZ.
0: Yeah, like what, what you can't do is get a transfer file that's halfway through discovery and and do what you want to do, which is bill 8.5 to figure out what the hell is going on here. You can't do that, but you can capture your time either through triggering events or prior approval or both. Um, you know, just to make sure that the value that you are adding To the particular file is demonstrated and is approved. Um, All right, number nine, ninth commandment. And this is just a very quick one. Uh, If you're doing insurance defense work, don't say carrier when you're talking about reporting to your client. Use the name of the insurance company, the specific name of the adjuster. You can use the title if you want, but for whatever reason, the word carrier I've seen. Uh, I've seen dinged as vague, and and by the way, when I say you know dinged or cut or something like that, it doesn't sound like the end of the world. You say to yourself, okay, well if they cut it for being vague, just fix it. Well, the reality is we get these these adjusted bills back from the billing auditor four to six months after the work happened, and to really try to figure out what was done and why six months ago when you're involved in dozens, if not hundreds of files, it's it puts you in a very much a a needle in a haystack situation. Better to not be to not put yourself in that situation. Okay, the 10th commandment. Pertains to internal billing. When you do, when you first start doing billing, you know, there's literally drop down menus depending on the billing software that your firm uses, uh, giving you different categories for billing. For example, reviewing and analyzing, draft revise, uh, communicate with client. One of the drop down entries is communicate in firm. And we never use that. And most billing guidelines preclude us from using that because internal discussions among attorneys is not considered billable. And that is actually in a lot of billing guidelines. Um, Okay, full disclosure, that's ridiculous uh, because one of the points of a law firm is that you have a wealth of knowledge in addition to yourself that you can bounce ideas off of. You know, to people who just took the bar exam, you probably had study groups for final exams in law school or study groups for the bar exam itself. And you bounce ideas off of each other to better hone your positions, to better to better learn the law. And we do that as a firm all the time. You know, when we're reporting on damages for a particular injury that you know, that none of us has really encountered before in, in the good old days when we were all in the office five days a week, Georgia, you and I both used to do this of just walking up and down the hallways, going into the offices of both experienced and inexperienced attorneys to say, hey, let me tell you about this injury and this treatment and this plaintiff's condition. What do you think? And you get a range of damages. All of that is infirm
1: communication.
0: You just can't bill it as infirm communication. You can bill it as, oh, go ahead.
1: But there is value to it, and there's value to being able to chat with you about an injury. I have on a case that I haven't encountered before, but you've taken to trial. So you know how it'll play to a jury. You know which experts to use. Um, So, you know, for, for for any carriers listening, going, oh, yeah, why would we pay you to just sit in George's office and chit-chat? Well, we're not just, we're not billing you for, you know, the, our water cooler talk. We're billing you for the stuff that is actually going toward um, the analysis of a case. So how would you bill for it so that it doesn't get cut? I just cut. I just don't include
0: it. I, I review it. I bill it as review and analysis. Of cause it's you know, cause it that's what it is. It's analyzing its further analysis of medical records, of you know, okay, does this does this particular accident where the guy fell through a floor is this gonna trigger labor law two forty? Let me see if Georgia has dealt with a situation like this before. That is right. all review and analysis of testimony in furtherance of you know of uh you know, in furtherance of liability strategy and furtherance of a report to advise a client. But th- this this is literally one of the few parts of the these commandments of, look, of course, you need to communicate with your colleagues at your office. You just don't bill it as that you, you mm-hmm. figure out another way to capture that time. Um, and you do not bill for when Georgia and I are talking about the end of season 3 of Succession and what we think is going to happen in season 4. Mm-hmm. That that's what they think we're doing. Um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh but we very very rarely bill that time to clients. Um should yeah we should but
1: <laughs> just to so, make up for the other for the other stuff they got.
0: Yeah, we got to we got to find uh find ourselves a nice, you know, estate litigation scenario where we can bill the entire three seasons of succession is research, but uh, I don't. I think I think the billing auditors would be able to demonstrate their value by cutting those bills. Um, okay, the eleventh commandment, and George, you already mentioned this, so I'm going to let you elaborate on it. Do not self-edit your time. What does that mean?
1: Uh, is this for the young associates, right?
0: Well, this goes back to your Mulcahy discussion yeah. back in the day.
1: You know, I mean. Because on the one hand, we started the podcast by saying associates that actually know how to bill are more valuable to us than ones that haven't mastered it yet. But you learn to master billing by not self-editing. So yes, it took me half an hour to write a one or two paragraph letter when I first started i did not self-edit i put what it legitimately took me i looked at the clock i did the work i looked at the clock again and i put that billing in but in not self-editing i then got called into mulcahy's office so that he can edit my work so he can tell me and i can learn from that associates should not guess they shouldn't guess that this letter should only take a point one or point two where it really could be a point six because guess what some letters do take longer. Doing a tender letter is far more um, uh, complicated. It requires more thought, more writing. It, it is more pages. So don't say, well, George said in that podcast that every letter is a point one or point two. No, I didn't. So don't self edit, you know, through, um, build what you do on it. And then we as the partners will tell you, look, some letters, good faith letters are short and sweet, other letters are longer. Uh, your emotion, Shouldn't take you a month to do, but also don't say, well, uh, I feel uncomfortable putting a 1.5 for reviewing 400 pages of medical records, so I'll just put a 0.4. If you put a 0.4 and you don't put what the page number is, I'm going to assume the medical records that came in were like 20 pages, if that. Um, But if the reality is they were 400 pages, but you just didn't feel comfortable putting a 1.5, well, then you are screwing yourself and the firm. Uh, So don't self-edit. Actually put the amount of time it takes you. And as you grow as an attorney, you will also grow as a biller because part of our job as the partners that manage the bills is to sit you down and say, okay, I have noticed that you don't give yourself enough time uh, when you're reviewing medical records. Medical records do take longer. So don't cut yourself short there. Or I've noticed that you bill excessively for for writing emails. Let's talk about that. Let's get you to understand why that is isn't appropriate.
0: Fair enough. Um, Twelfth commandment. This is uh, this is a, a pretty quick one. If you're calling a client and you're leaving a voicemail, don't say you left a voicemail. Say you called a client telephone call to, you know, to claim representative to discuss strategy. Um, the, the term leave voicemail or leave message, they're going to cut it. Uh, but you know, you're leaving, you're not only are you leaving a message, but you're probably also doing some preparation for that call to get your ducks in a row so that you can anticipate the types of questions you might get. And that's a separate entry, you know, plan and prepare for phone call to client to discuss strategy. That's, that is absolutely necessary. Um, you know, and might require more pre- preparation depending on the client. Uh, and the kind of pointed questions you might get,
1: yeah. and um, again, I, I, again, the whole point of this is an auditor needs to know what we're doing all day. And if they think all we're doing is leaving voicemails, well, that isn't lawyering. So you know, you don't bill for leaving a voicemail. we We bill when we have the calls, when we when we when we have something that actually advances the case. Um, so save your. Point. Yeah, I mean, it took you what twenty seconds to leave a voicemail. You don't have to 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 put that in. You know, they call you back. That's when you bill because that's when you've actually had the 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 billable event occur. Because and it's a billable event because it's helping you as an attorney uh, move your case forward uh, to the inevitable, uh, you know, strategy and end that we try to get all cases to. All
0: right. Thirteenth commandment pertains to travel billing. And uh, it's funny, attorneys that have only been practicing for the past year or even two years, uh, i.e. during the COVID era, have probably not gotten used to the travel billing at all. But in pre-COVID days, every attorney at Wade Clark and frankly at most defense firms is probably well aware that different clients have different guidelines for travel billing and how you can bill, what you can recover, what you can't recover for, which in most instances instances depends on the amount of time or distance that you're traveling. Now, again, to brand new attorneys, wait a minute, you're telling me that some carriers will pay for me to travel to court and others won't? That can't be right. Yeah, get used to it, that's right, that's how it works um so this is one of those much like with the legal research know the travel guidelines for the different clients because if you don't know the travel guidelines then even if you enter an otherwise appropriate billing entry if like for example there might be certain carriers where you bill your time in court and your time for travel separately whereas some they want you to bill it all together some don't let you bill it at all. And you need to include in the entry the words, no travel time billed. Um, it's a colossal pain in the ass. But you know what? Follow the guidelines because they're right there in writing. And, you know, a, uh, it's a wise thing for a firm to do what we had done in the past. And what we'll continue to do is to have all those little rules and regulations and guidelines in one specific spot, like just on a spreadsheet so that people know what, what the deal is?
1: You know what I do for fun, just to make myself giggle when I put in these billing entries? I'll put a peer for virtual court conference to discuss outstanding discovery, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'll put in parentheses, no travel time included. <laughs> because you oh. would think the word virtual would be enough, but I want to make sure they don't cut it out. So I put no travel time included for my virtual conference.
0: Georgia, you live dangerously.
1: I know so (laughs) it's it's so fun to be in my head. (laughs)
0: Um, The 14th commandment is one that George I know is near and dear to your heart because you already brought this up. Paralegal tasks. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I mean, what if they could pretty sure most carriers would fire all lawyers and just hire a staff of paralegals to run their cases.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's, too
1: bad we, they can't.
0: We we run into this all the time, where review of medical records or review of discovery is considered a paralegal task, and uh, frankly, that's that's ridiculous. Um, you know, what we do, especially in the in the personal injury world, for example, we. You know, we review pleadings, we review medical records, we depose clients, we excuse me, we depose plaintiffs, we depose other parties, we review discovery, all with the goal of advising the insurance company and the client of, you know, the two questions that insurance companies have on every case or the three questions. How much do we have to pay? Why? And what can we do to pay less? Those are not paralegal tasks and everything that we do in conjunction with the reviewing of medical records all goes to the how much we have to pay. What is the exposure here? It would be absolute malpractice to just let paralegals review medical records and jot down some notes and to organize those notes and then call that our report on damages. That's malpractice. So this comes into, once again, detailing billing entries with triggering events to make it as difficult as possible for the billing auditors to call what we did a paralegal task. Um, Okay, and the 15th commandment of billing, and this is much more vague and general, uh, this does not apply to specific entries. This applies to an, a practice of attorneys on literally when you enter your billing. Um, attorneys tend to find their own systems. Some people enter their billing as they're doing it over the course of the day. Uh, I tend to do it at, at the end of the day. And frankly, I use my sent emails folder on outlook as kind of a blueprint for how that billing is going to go
1: No, that's the wrong way to do it put your billing in as you are doing the work yeah end of story brian you're fired
0: (laughs) (laughs) well the reason i bring this up is there is a practice among some attorneys to enter their billing at the end of the week Ah, and some or, some, and I think this is more in big law than in our world oh, at the the, at, the the, at, the, at the end of the month, if I tried it's to sad. enter my billing at the end of the month, I would lose yeah, not hours. I'd lose days., yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know how you can remember all this stuff. It's impossible there's there's there is so much intricate stuff that happens over the course of a day that, you know, to your point, Georgia, I do it at the end of the day, and even then, um, you know, I feel like I lose things. And if I happen to go a second day, I'm losing my mind. Like, I, I get my OCD kicks in.
1: Now, if you want to master billing, you have to do it simultaneously. Because if you do it simultaneously, you also try – you you get an understanding of why it is you can bill certain things at the value you can do it. Because you're doing it simultaneously. I send a quick email. Well, it's just a point one. So, if you're an associate and you're billing – point three, point four for an email and I sit you down and I say, why, why did you bill point three or point four for a quick email? And then you're like, oh, because I went back and I thought it was an you know, it was kind of like a lengthy email. No, but if you had done it simultaneously, you would have seen it took you a quick second. So you can only build the point one. So bill simultaneously. You won't lose your billing. Um and it also helps you really understand why certain tasks, hey, I've spent all morning working on this motion to compel. I can bill a good three, four hours on it because that is how long it actually. That um, because a motion to compel isn't that, uh, you know, uh, complex, you're going to say, oh, motion to compile, I'll, I'll only do a half an hour on it because you forget that actually it did take you longer to draft it. But because you don't deem it a valuable document, you're 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 cut yourself regulating your billing. So bill simultaneously. Don't listen to Brian.
0: I have not heard you as heated about any issue. As I just heard you about simultaneous billing. Georgia, I've known you a long time, and I don't know if I've ever heard you as heated about anything as simultaneous billing. This is this is the, this is a, a a pet project of yours.
1: It is a pet of mine. Um, when I hear associates say they don't bail till the end of the day or the end of the week, uh, quite frankly, you will just not remember how long a task took you when you try to do it, uh, when you try to bill for it um, after the fact. Uh, You might look back and think, oh, that must have taken me a hot second because it wasn't, you know, that complex. When in reality, it is something that did take you half an hour and it's something that we can uh, bill half an hour for. Um, I find even when uh, I'm not in a position to be able to access our billing system. I will open up a Word document and I will simultaneously put all of my billing entries into the Word document, save it, and then uh, transfer it over into the billing system. it's it, It's the only way to accurately um, convey to the client what we're doing and for how long, you know it took us. It's also the best practice because this will teach young associates, why the number is what it is why you were able to bill you know 1.5 for the 400 pages of medical records. Cause at the time you were reviewing those medical records, it did take you an hour and a half. So then you put it down versus looking back later and going, oh, 400 pages. Well, I don't know, I, do I put 1.5? Is that too much? Is that too little? Cause you forgot just how much time it actually took you. Um, and you end up either overbilling, cause you're like, well, I see the number four in front of it, so I might as well just say, it took me you know, four or five hours. Or you end up underbelling because you're like, well, I'm a little uncomfortable putting 1.5, but that's how much time it took you. So do it simultaneously. You too, Brian. I, I
0: have my system and I, I don't want to talk about this anymore because you're just going to yell at me. <laughs> like, well, we're not going to agree. You're, like, you're not an agree to disagree person. You're a convinced person.
1: Yeah, which yeah. is probably but, what makes ooh, you a good attorney. Oh, I like that. I'm not an agree to disagree person. I mean, it's probably a terrible characteristic for a human being, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'll take that. Can I now tell you the hottest drink for the summer or the coolest drink for the summer?
0: Oh, I see what you did there.
1: Mm-hmm. Talk to me. A rosemary, rosemary, uh, mescal fizz. And I like it because mezcal is a hot topic. Some people like it because of its smoky quality. Other people prefer a regular tequila in their drink. But I would go for this rosemary mezcal fizz because it's got an excessive amount of ingredients that probably don't need to go into the drink.
0: Well, what what's in it besides mezcal?
1: Um, You, 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 throw in. Well, let's actually click on it.
0: So you weren't <laughs> Res- anticipating follow up questions,
1: huh? No, I mean you gotta get yourself a rosemary like little branch, a branch of rosemary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you would put on some French fries on the side. And the fizzy part is, eh, well, there's there's some egg whites. Asterix that can be uh optional you've got a lemon zest you've got a lemon juice you've got agave and of course some chilled club soda fancy oh and the rosemary what did i call it a little branch it's called a sprig a sprig a sprig okay
0: okay, what okay whatever this is already too complicated
1: oh wait gets worse gets gets more complicated you have to briefly singe over a flame uh of a gas burner the rosemary sprig so it gives it a little bit of a smoked cooked flavor
0: see i would be a terrible guest on one of these shows because i would just say you know vodka in the summer and whiskey in the winter and i would have very little else to say
1: you gotta i'm boring you gotta gotta shut up gotta have an accessory throw in a couple of blueberries
0: well, what's what's uh. nice, what's nice about this segue is, uh, after listening to us rant about billing for an hour, you probably need a cocktail. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so have true. at it, rosemary mescal fizz. Yep, there you have it, folks. The sixteenth commandment of billing: rosemary mescal fizz.
1: <laughs> Bill well, while you're drunk. <laughs>
0: Well, we hope that this um, I'm not going to say was exciting, but I hope that some of these nuts and bolts that we are giving you give you at least a little bit of insight as to how the world of billing works. And we wanted to do this because nobody tells you this until you enter your first set of bills and they get torn apart by the partner. So why not give some tricks of the trade beforehand? Um, All right. So that's all we've got for today. And uh, I'm sure our next recording will be at some point in the next few weeks or so. But until then, folks, enjoy your summer.
1: It's been a pleasure.